welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, we have quite a few folks we're going to have on today, and we're going to start with my friend who is a columnist with uh, Trice Edney Wire, and her column is carried by the Seattle Medium newspaper. And last week, she had a very interesting article, and a lot of people are talking about what's been going on in Washington, D.C., and what role the leaders of the Republican Party are playing, and uh, how they have rigged... Uh, or attempting to rig uh, states so that they have control of all the votes and whose votes going to count, and whose votes not going to count. And Dr. Ife is a radio host. She's a president uh, and a national president and CEO of the National Congress of Black Women. She also is a radio host in Washington, D.C., and she has chapters and followers all around the country and has also went around the globe uh, fighting for justice for our people. I can recall her in the late Dick Gregory going all the way over to uh, BP in London to protest what was happening in uh, the, the Gulf Coast with their big oil spill. So, but uh, Dr. Ife has column uh, last week in the medium had to do with what's happening with the politics in Washington, DC. So Dr. Ife, thank you very much for taking time out to join us today. And why don't you just go ahead and start talking about what's burning you up back in DC. Well, of course, it, you know, there's a song called You Can't Get Disappointed When You Disappointed All the Time. It just seems that things with the Republican Party here gets to be worse every day. And I've just noticed that for the first time, Kevin MacArthur's ratings are going down, I'm told. And, you know, and they should be. I mean, people want someone who's going to tell them the truth, who's going to look out for them. And, you know, the rest of the party members applauded him yesterday when he walked in. What were they applauding? Applauding his lies that are coming out everywhere. Uh, we, we knew that many of these things were happening, but now there is proof. And I think Congressman Benny Thompson and the committee, uh, uh, along with Liz Cheney, should be complimented for what they're finally able to do is to show the American people evidence of how these Republicans have disrupted programs that would have helped them, disrupted everything President Biden has tried to do for our people. It's time for all of us to look at the person who's representing us and make sure we vote the right way. A vote, that's all I can think of. I cannot imagine a black person, especially, or a progressive person saying, well, I'm just not going to vote because my vote doesn't count. No, it does count. Every vote will count because most of these races are very close right now, and we have to get up. We have to vote, even if we've never voted before. And, and it's amazing. It does, doesn't seem like uh, no matter what that turns up on the Republican side in terms of uh, voter fraud, intimidation, and everything else, and uh, also this duplicity of a uh, of uh, 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 McCarthy and also uh, uh, Mark Meadows. And you yes. know, you have to think that you have uh, a Supreme Court justice wife leading uh, the insurrectionists, one of the major players, putting pressure on the White House to overturn the election and to uh, instill martial law. So uh, at what point does Clarence Thomas have to step down from, the, from that high seat on the Supreme Court? Well, it's been time for him to do that. He, as a matter of fact, should never have been elected. And, you know, he's got a brother over there in the Senate um, called Tim Scott, who is just as bad. I cannot understand Tim Scott, a black man who is the, the senator from his state, but stood up and voted against Judge Katanja Brown, the first black woman ever having an opportunity to be on the Supreme Court. 
and he could even, um, you know, stand there. And McConnell, who talks bad about even his his former president, because he wasn't mine, but talk about him doing everything wrong. And then when asked, but if he runs in 2024, are you going to support him? The answer was absolutely. Now, how do you do that? You know that everything is wrong with the person. You know that our democracy is at stake because of this person and because of many people in the Republican Party. And yet you're going to say, absolutely. What kind of American are you? I, I did an article once about Americans where McConnell talked about uh, black people are voting in the same percentage as Americans. What does they think we are? I don't know if you had a chance to read that one. I don't know if that was in your paper. Uh, you yes, know, it was, ma'am. It certainly was. Oh, <laughs> yes, it was. I mean, so that shows you where they are. They don't even consider us Americans. Therefore, if we have this right to vote, we better start using it and not trying to figure out what's wrong with Biden. Biden may be having a difficult time, but that's because the people on the other side of the aisle are not supporting anything that he does. Tried to pass something to get more jobs, to, to get more, more work, more companies, trying you know, to get um, a fair immigration, uh, fair immigration policy. Uh, uh, President Biden has tried to do everything that he could to make this a better world by trying to undo some of those Trump policies. But what do the Republicans do? Almost all of them to a T work against it. And they admitted that that's what they're trying to do, just like they did with President Obama, saying they weren't going to let anything pass under him. It doesn't matter to them who they're hurting when they do these things. They just do them because that's the kind of people they are. Well, why do you think that the, uh, I guess there's still a majority of whites, uh, uh, citizens in this country still support and, and, uh, and, and, don't, con and don't condemn uh, uh, that uh, anti-democratic stand they're taking. Yeah, well, you know, they're going to have to answer to, to the people uh, and people who are continuing to support them don't understand that they're hurting themselves. Many of them need help more than black people and brown people need it, and yet they don't understand. So maybe we have to take to teaching them what's wrong with the people they're supporting. You know, we uh, do that with our own people, and sometimes we run into a few of our people who are misled by all of this misinformation that's out there. So all of us who think we're leaders need to stand up and tell the truth no matter who it hurts out there, uh, whether it's our people, because sometimes our, our people, like Tim Scott, get misled and work against the best interests of our people. And so we have to be out there on the streets. We have to be in church. We have to be wherever we can get an opportunity. We have to be showing them the truth. And until even when they see it in writing, sometimes they don't believe it. Like now, uh, what people are saying about Kevin McCarthy and how he has lied just about the simplest of things. But these simple things are having a great impact on our country. So I hope that many people are listening, that they listen to programs like yours so that they can get the truth about what's going on. It's not the Republicans who are standing up trying to correct the errors. And I, I shouldn't even say error. This is just plain old wrongdoing because people who are doing these things intend to do them. But why do you have to continue to allow them to come to the Senate, come to the Congress, or even at the local level? We need to look at those races, too, because there they can make a difference, too. And many of them are voting the wrong way. They're supporting the wrong things. So we got to look at every level of government and understand that it's important to our well-being. You know, I was really hoping after... Uh... Uh, uh, Senator Tim Scott voted against Ketanji uh, uh, Brown, the Supreme Court justice, uh, 
that he would get a visit that night during his sleep from his grandmother and uh, Rosa uh -huh. Parks and uh, uh -huh. Sojourner Truth and, uh -huh. and Constance Baker Motley so and, and, right. and Shirley Chisholm and just have That's all those. I hope they need, they need to pay him a visit in, at night because uh, uh -huh. I just can't understand how a black man could do what he did. I just, I mean, I just didn't understand. I mean, what does he possibly get? I guess reelected because he's, he's carrying the banner of uh, white supremacy. So I guess that will uh, always curry favor with those type voters. His voting is no no different from what Strom Thurmond's, vote, uh, Strom Thurmond's voting was. He needs to look back at the history and see what these people did to our people and the impact that it continues to have until some of our leaders uh, get up and, you know, make those changes and go against the grain to do the right thing. He knows he's not doing the right thing. And I wonder what it's like for him to go to his mother's house on Mother's Day, go and visit his relatives. Do, do, I, I'm sure they don't vote for him. I'm, I'm just absolutely sure that there couldn't be a whole family around him that's voting the way that he votes in Congress, the way that he votes in the Senate. So uh, maybe we need to talk with some of the members of their families to see where they are and to see if they can talk some sense into people like him. It's absolutely a crime to have someone there call themselves black, call themselves representing black people, and don't do anything in our best interest. Well, you know, uh, every now and then it might do good to have uh, the NAACP and other people get in front of his house with some no Thomas, uh, uh signs and a, a couple of bullhorns. Yes, because if absolutely. people get away with it without fearing any repercussions, they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, and it won't matter what uh, the color of the per person is in that race if he's not going to do the right thing. I mean, look at Georgia. Uh, Mr. Mr. Ossoff, Senator Ossoff votes the way that he needs to vote, not just for black people, as it is, but vote for the good of all the people of Georgia. Why can't Tim Scott, who is a black man, vote for the benefit of all people? Because if he votes for what is good for black people is also voting for what is good for poor and dis, you know, disenfranchised uh, white people. It's not like it or brown people. It's not just for us that we're asking him to vote right. Uh, we, but we must do what we must do, even if Tim Scott never rises to the occasion, never does what he is supposed to do. But I wouldn't spend a penny, you know, sending to him to get him reelected if I were the people of South Carolina. You know what? Uh, I'm really hoping that, uh, and I think there's already, a, uh, I hope there's an opponent against him. But the other thing is that the, the, uh, having the same Republicans who voted for the Supreme Court Justice, Ketanji Brown Jackson, they voted mm -hmm. for her for the second highest court in the land and then turn mm -hmm. around. And that's how far back we've gone in terms of it's okay just to be outright racist. That's what exactly what it was. And, uh, and it's too bad uh, somebody like Tim Scott would get on that get on that train. And I wonder if our people are looking, and I don't just mean black people, are looking at what's going on now with Russia when you have an authoritarian leader, how he can destroy entire countries and then threaten even the, he's even threatened the United States. He's threatened other countries around him. That's what happens. When you get enough people like the, many of these Republicans are now and the way that they're behaving. And I'm, I'm sure there's some 
good Republicans somewhere. They need to rise up right now. Their party is going to be destroyed. They're going to destroy it. You know, it seems that they're trying to destroy our country and our way of life, while we in the black community especially have been working all along to try to make this nation a better nation for all people, not just for our people. Well, you know, one of my mentors was Dr. Arthur A. Fletcher, the father of affirmative action. Oh, and, I knew uh, him. He was he was my good friend, too. He was my neighbor. He used to live right around the corner of, from me. Of G Street Southwest. <laughs> Absolutely. Was 416 yeah. G Street Southwest. Yeah, so I, I made many tracks. I'm oh, oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Art was a very good friend, yeah. That's right. And, and the thing about it is that back in those days, the Republic, the Black Republicans worked with members of the Black House. Wasn't that many of them? Because we brought right. Karen Mitchell out down in the seventies. Yes, there indeed. Was Taylor, Art Fletcher. Oh, yes, a Brown. Uh, those those brothers were. Yeah, Bob you Brown, know, Sam they, Jackson. Yeah. Yes, so, yes, Doctor. In anyway, I just wanted to say uh, we're going to uh, transition over to the chief. But is there anything okay. you like? Any wisdom you like to part with uh, with my listeners' audience today? Well, you know, I'm still a Dick Gregory disciple. I've written a book about him. Last night, for the fourth time, I watched the movie, The One and Only Dick Gregory, on Showtime. So I hope your listeners will have an opportunity to see that movie. I have a bit part in the movie, so I hope they'll like what I did and know that Dick Gregory is in many ways still alive because he did so much for our people, took so many risks for us, gave when he almost didn't have, you know, to take care of, of, of himself. He gave his money to the civil rights movement. We need more people like him. And I've written a book. It's called Wake Up and Stay Woke. And the reason I named it that is because those were the last words I heard him say. So I say to your listeners, wake up and stay woke, because when you go back to sleep, bad things are happening. All right, because I remember all the time he'd always say, Faye, Faye. <laughs> and you Dr. <laughs> Faye Williams, but he called you Faye. So thank you very much, Dr. Ife. We really appreciate all the work you're doing and keep your Thank thoughts you. and your positions out in, in the in the in the media too. We appreciate reading about it. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you to the chief who does great work. I, uh, if you're recommending him, I know he does good work. Okay. Well, he, Love the, you. Take the state care. says he has a top fire department in, in the in the state. So, all right. All right. Uh, Love you. Okay, Chief Harold Scoggins, and thank you, Dr. Ife Williams. Okay, Chief uh, Harold, I was uh, just uh, t- commenting on an article I saw in the Seattle Medium newspaper about the Seattle Fire Department receiving a superior rating of any other fire department in the state. So I'd like to have, thanks for coming on today, and I'd like to have you start with the good news first before we talk about anything negative. And I don't think there's too much to talk about. I think we just left that conversation a minute ago with Dr. Ife Williams. Sure, first, Eddie, thank you for having me on the show uh, to talk about what I believe is great work our department is doing. The Washington Survey and Ratings Bureau, what they do is they evaluate all of the fire departments throughout the state and um, based on their capabilities. And this is something that's done for departments nationally all over the country. And they look at a number of different things. They, they look at our dispatching system. You know, how quick are we receiving, answering, and processing our 911 calls? How are we staffed? They look at our water system in the city. Um, the size of the water mains, the number of hydrants, the maintenance, um, the additions to that system, how often everything's checked. They also look at our fire prevention, you know, that we have in the fire department. Um, we, we touch the buildings in the, in the city when they're being built. We have a fire engineering division. We have a new construction inspection arm. 
We have an ongoing um, inspection and compliance section. So they evaluate all of that work and the training that everyone has in all of those areas I just mentioned. And then in the fire department itself, they, they look at our station locations, our equipment, our staffing, the training that we do, um, everything that you can imagine from how often we inspect our ladders and our hose to how often we maintain our engines and our ladder truck and provide maintenance on them. Everything that you can imagine, they evaluate. And they do this every five years. So uh, when I got here in 2015, I started April 1st, 2015, we were just starting the process of going through an evaluation then. And um, at the end of that evaluation, we were graded a class two fire department based on our scoring. Um, and you know, over the last five years, we have been working hard in so many areas um, to, to really amplify the good work that we're doing and then shore up the gaps uh, that we've had shortfalls in the past. So we were fortunate um to get this rating but a lot of hard work went into this and uh, chief you're on your third mayor right i am okay who was that that, that uh hired you uh it was mayor ed murray ed murray okay so yeah they had well you also had uh mayor bruce Hill for two weeks yes <laughs> and now we got mayor bruce Hill, so that's good i know you that must make him very proud and uh uh, I'm very proud of the success that you guys are, are, are uh, garnering right now, too. Now, in terms of uh, getting into the fire service, I know at one time back during the Clarence Williams and Roberto Jordan and Bob Davis and uh, 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 Charles Gill, those days, uh, the Jerry Jones, who's not here anymore, Howard LeVert, uh, they had a significant number of Black firefighters. What is uh, the, the numbers like right now with the Seattle Fire Department? Uh, we're probably between six and seven percent of our firefighters are black firefighters. And I know that's down from that uh, era that you mentioned at that point when I looked at the information. Um, it was about 12 percent um, during that period of time. So we have a thousand sworn firefighters. It was about 12 percent in the in the 90s, early 2000s. And we're at about six to seven percent of the department right now. And uh, right now, you guys are also doing some recruitment, too, right, for new firefighters? Yes, our application period closed on April the 19th, and the testing window closed on April the 26th. We were open for seven weeks, our applications. We received um, just over 2,900 applications for firefighters in that six-week period. And um, one of the things that I think is important to note that 40% um, of those applications were received from people of color. Um, so that that really highlights the recruitment efforts you, we have been making to see such a large popul population of people of color that sub submitted applications to be a part of the Seattle Fire Department. And why don't you share with our listeners exactly all of your duties and responsibilities, all the different departments that you have. And you mentioned already about maintaining the equipment and, and doing things like that. Uh, also, I want to let folks know that when we were able uh, you and your family were at every of all of the Martin Luther King events, uh, and we also included uh, the Black History event, the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee held, which uh, former fire chief, the first Black fire chief, the first Black firefighter, uh, Chief Claude Harris was honored, and you made sure that you had a number of people there uh, to uh, watch him receive that honor, and we really do appreciate that. Uh, people want to know, what's going on at that church? It must be a bomb. There are too many fire, fire vehicles around there. But it was a glorious occasion and not, not nothing drastic. So I want to thank you as well for that. 
Yeah, you know, it was an absolute honor to um, attend that event and um, be there to celebrate with and honor Fire Chief Claude Harris. You know, you're talking about an individual who laid the groundwork for so many who came after him starting in 1959. He was the only black firefighter in the Seattle Fire Department, I believe, for eight years um, from 59 to 67. You, you're talking about carrying a torch. I mean, he, he carried a torch for a long way. Um, by himself. And he rose to the rank of fire chief. And even when I was in California, you know, that was one of the names you knew coming up in the profession, a luminary in our profession of the fire service. And, you know, so it was an honor to be there. But to, to the original question of what, what are my responsibilities? So we, we have the Seattle Fire Department. It's broken up into four different areas. Um, oftentimes, what the community sees is our operation section. And that's the area that um, goes out the door with lights and sirens to attack those fires, address those medical issues out of any of our 33 fire stations each and every day. We go out the door about between 250 and 275 times every single day to serve the community. And there's a lot of work that goes into that, but that's our operation section. We have a number, another section called resource management. Now, resource management under that umbrella, led by Assistant Chief Willie Barrington, we have our dispatch center, we have our training division, we have our emergency preparedness, and we have our fleets and facilities. So that, that's a heavy lift. You know, we have close to 40 facilities that we manage, over 200 apparatus, our um, dispatching um, and training, all of our new folks coming in, and all of our folks that are here. We got a lot of responsibilities there. That's our second arm. Operations is led by Assistant Chief Brian Hastings. Then we have our fire prevention section led by our fire marshal assistant chief, Tim Munnis. And that's, you know, really to take care of all, all those who live, work and visit Seattle in the built environment. We review every plan of all the buildings that are built. We perform new construction inspections, compliance inspections, hazmat inspections, fire investigation, um, and ongoing compliance inspections. So that's, a, that's another heavy lift. And then we have our administrative section led by our executive director, Helen Fitzpatrick, that's our, we have a, a, a significant finance team um, to manage the department, our public affairs team, our human resources team, and then our IT folks that keep all of our systems up and running. So it's my job to, um, to really make sure we're running as efficiently and effectively as possible. Okay. You know what? Um, uh, we have Congressman uh, Bobby Scott on hold. We're going to take a break. I want you to hold on for a minute. I want uh, the congressman to see and meet and greet. Uh, the top fire department in the country. So, uh, Eric, we want to take a break and come back with Congressman Scott after this. So, Chief, hold on with us. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. 
Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. All right, now, Eric and pull some tunes, played fire for the fire chief, and now we have the chair of the House Education and Labor Committee, former Newport News NAACP president, and a former a state senator from the great state of Virginia. And his name is Congressman Robert Cortez Scott, better known as Congressman Bobby Scott. So welcome, sir. I'm glad to have you on the air. A lot of things are happening in D.C. Uh, early in the program, we got a perspective from Dr. E.K.A. Williams, who is the chair, uh, uh, national chair and president, CEO of uh, the, Congress, the National Congress of Black Women. And so I just wanted to find out uh, what's going on in D.C. other than what I'm hearing about Kevin McCarthy and Mark Meadows and Jenny Thomas and Clarence Thomas. Uh, and it looks like uh, they're being supported by the overwhelming majority of the Republicans in, in Congress. Uh, they're supported by all the, just about all the Republicans in Congress. They can do anything they want. Uh, they're above the law. They get caught in lies. I mean, they, they, they'll, <clears throat> the uh, January 6th commission is going to try to put it all together. Um, the, uh, there are a lot of people that have been very uncooperative. Um, uh, some have been cooperative. So, um, you know, all of us are privy to the information they have. But if you just look at uh, some of these, um, um, uh, some of the people that are testifying, it's going to be interesting to see. They're going to start having hearings in, about, in a few weeks, um, and they'll put together <clears throat> what happened and why. <clears throat> so, um, uh, it, you know, there's no question that a, an attempt was made to um, overtake the, um, um, the system and to install Trump as um, uh, as president, even though he lost the election. I mean, a real attack on the democracy. But I think a conservative judge, Judge Ludick from um, the Fourth Circuit, um, very conservative judge, retired, wrote an op-ed where he said, it's really, all this stuff is really not about 
2020. It's about 2024, where Trump mm. runs again, and they've had a dry run about how to take over the election. Um, they, um, they've changed some personalities. They're going to have some elections with secretaries of state. So when they tell a secretary of state to find me 18,000 votes, secretary of state won't say no. They'll say, uh, give, me a couple, give me a couple of days and I'll do the best I can. Um, and if you get enough of those, you know, democracy is just down the tubes. And what um, the, the uh, op-ed shows is they're, they're, it, it's, it's obvious what they're doing and we need to pay attention. So um, we're gonna we're gonna start seeing some some facts, but I think you know some of the things like <clears throat> letting the legislature decide who won, rather than the um, uh, local electoral boards and add up the score. Uh, why is that? And that's because legislators will vote party line. Local electoral boards will are more likely to just report the facts. Um, and so I mean <clears throat> you know when. Um, when they were trying to mess up the electoral count and said if they can uh, question a couple, they only need a couple of states, they can have the um, next step in the process, and that is instead of the electoral college, you go the House of Representatives votes by state, and Trump controls more states than Biden, and he can win. Well, you didn't hear much discussion about members of Congress saying to themselves, wait a minute, everybody knows Joe Biden won. I'm not going to vote to overturn the election. This is a democracy. That discussion never took place. There's only one state where the um, outcome was in jeopardy, and that was Wyoming, because there are some questions about whether Liz Cheney would vote to overthrow the election just because she could. Um, and, and thank God for her, uh, somebody that believes in democracy. The others, two-thirds of the Republicans voted um, at least once to, um, to throw out the results. And so if we believe in democracy, you got to open your eyes and understand what's going on. Locally, uh, what, can, what can be done other than encouraging our people to turn out like mad to vote? Uh, what kind of strategy got, is that's the only thing we got left that they're trying to suppress the vote you got to take whatever you know suppress the vote is different from denying the vote suppress the vote just means you're putting in little roadblocks and speed bumps which makes it likely that some won't get around to registering or doing whatever you have to do um we have to make sure that whatever speed bump is in the way long lines um you know they had uh, one state the you can't feed people in line well, you know, the, and they said, well, you ought to be able to, and they argue whether you ought to be able to feed people in line. The, 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 the debate should have said, why in the world do you have people in line so long that they need food and water? <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean why, 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 what, what's up with that? And if you, if you know that's a problem, start working on it. Don't just deny them food and water. But um, if that's what it takes, just stand in line, bring your own food and water, and, but make sure you vote, because if, um, if they successfully suppress the vote and win, um, and like you said, the Republicans are still supporting the Republicans. They don't appear to care whether, whether we have a democracy or not. 
we need to make sure that those who care about a democracy get out and vote and vote for people that are not caught up in that. The other question I have is that uh, there seems to be uh, some uh, mixed ratings on uh, the current U.S. Attorney General, Merrick Garland. And uh, I know that uh, in Washington State, we've had an experience that we thought was really, really negative and not address the issue that we raised. And we also had a congressman, Adam Smith, that chair, who's my congressman, and also the congressman of uh, uh, NAMC founder, uh, Bob Armstead. And uh, he wrote a letter. I, I sent you a package. I know you get a lot of stuff all the time. You might not have seen it. But the uh, letter is from Congressman Adam Smith, who's examined nine disparity studies, two private studies, all saying that African descendants of the United States enslaved in Washington State are being discriminated by multiple agencies. And uh, it was a racial discrimination complaint. But for whatever reason, uh, it was, the letter from Congressman Adam Smith was addressed to, uh, to uh, Christine Clark, the Deputy Attorney General for Civil Rights. But they sent that discrimination complaint over to the Department of Justice. And you are a former Judiciary Committee member and a renowned attorney. And I just wanted to see uh, what kind of uh, sense does that make? Or is there a reason why uh, when you have multiple agencies who are not all receiving DOT funding, why a discrimination complaint against African descendants would be sent to DOT and not be dealt with in the Civil Rights Division? No, they're all of them ought to be on, on top of it. Uh, some of us have been a little concerned that um, the uh, Department of Justice has been slow. There are voter suppression laws being passed all over the country uh, because the Supreme Court stabbed us in the back and, uh, and messed up Section 4, which virtually eliminates Section 5, uh, preclearance. Uh, since we don't have preclearance anymore, in the old days, um, these discriminatory laws would not go into effect until the Justice Department had an opportunity to review it and affirmatively concluded that it was not discriminatory. So a lot of this stuff never would have seen the light of day because they couldn't get pre-cleared. Um, now that we don't have that, every time a bill passes, the, uh, the Department of Justice ought to be in federal court before the ink dries on the, on the governor's signature. We ought to be tying these states up in, in, in federal court. Now, you know, I suspect we might we might lose a lot of the cases, but we got to at least let people know that we're going to try, and then expose the judiciary as um, as for what it is, because they haven't been they have not been helpful. Uh, but it, but a lot of people have been um, a little concerned that the Department of Justice has been. Um, uh, slow on um, many of the uh, uh, voting rights cases and a case where there is uh, discrimination in contracts, um, I, I guess it doesn't matter which agency is involved, but somebody ought to be all on top of that. Because you know there's discrimination. And, and the only uh, way you're going to do it, the only way you're going to fix it is in court. Now, there are two agencies. We just had a hearing um, uh, this week uh, before our committee, the EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunities Commission, um, their jurisdiction is to um, to receive complaints. If somebody thinks they're discriminated against, um, 
they can get involved. Uh, but that's after the fact. The mm-hmm. OFCCP, the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, has a much more aggressive, proactive mission, and that is if you get federal contracts, OFCCP can require you to have a credible affirmative action plan. They don't, you don't even have to get caught discriminating. If you don't have an affirmative, a credible affirmative action plan, they can take you off the bidders list. And we've not, we haven't uh, used the OFCCP aggressively since the Carter administration. Now, I don't know if you had an opportunity to review the information, uh, the package that Bob Armstead, he's on the line with us right now. Uh, he is one of and myself, we were found, uh, two of the founders of the Washington State Chapter National Association of Minority Contractors, NEMC. And, uh, you know, you got nine disparity studies and two or three private studies all saying the same thing for multiple agencies that black folks are being discriminated against. And so for them to send it over, but then once again, for them to send it over, and that's why I sent a copy to you, to Congressman Cleaver. Are you talking about, are you talking about employees or contractors? No, 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 no. This, 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 this is, kind of, this is uh, a participation in, in the pie and contracting. Okay. Uh, and so, so we have, we have, we have. What's under my jurisdiction is uh, affects employees, OSCCP and um, EEOC. And we had a hearing and we got commitments from them that they're going to aggressively go after businesses, particularly those uh, with federal contracts, to make sure that um, uh, the employment opportunities are there for employers that have federal contracts. Well, on this um, instance, now, we're talking about the contract is um, in, in, is not within my committee, but I'm going to make sure that um, uh, the transportation and then transportation um, committee is is one of the in terms of legislation, has the really the best legislation in terms of affirmative action of, um, of any uh, uh, committee. Uh, they needed, um, they had a couple of real tight votes on uh, a few years ago on, um, on uh, appropriation, on, on, on authorization bills. And the Black Caucus was able to negotiate, um, you know, nice affirmative action provisions. So we got to make sure that those are being implemented. So I'm going to look at that and uh, see, see see what the status is. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'd like to have Bob Beacon show you. He put the package together, and uh, it. I mean, this this doesn't have to do with uh, the prime contractors. This has to do with the government agencies. Washington State. There was no affirmative action for 23 years. So a lot of people use that to say we don't have to deal with black folks anymore. Well, if it's a state agency, the Department of Justice needs to come in. And um, and make sure they're doing they're they're doing their jobs. So um, uh, yeah, well, we tried me, to get me, that let done. Me make some in, let me make some inquiries. Okay. Uh, to see what's uh, what's going on. Okay, you have the package on your personal email, but I'd just like to have Bob Armstead, who is uh, filed a complaint on behalf of the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition and one of the co-founders of the Washington State Chapter of the National Association of Minority Contractors. So Bob, you could chime in and let uh, what let uh, Congressman Scott know what your response has been. And also let him know the minuscule participation that African descendants are having in these contracts. Uh, yes, thank you, Eddie. Uh, good afternoon, Congressman. 
Uh, the complaint is actually a complaint that was submitted by 21 uh, organizations and individuals uh, that include statewide clergy, statewide civil rights organizations, statewide uh, associations of minority businesses. And the complaint was a civil rights complaint uh, claiming uh, discrimination and disparate impacts. And what uh, Eddie is referring to is that the one response that we've gotten back from the Department of Justice so far uh, basically stated that they didn't think that uh, those complaints were within their purview. And they decided that they would refer at least portions of it to the Department of Transportation. Real briefly, we have 36 attachments to our complaint. Uh, the majority of those were examples of things that have happened uh, with agencies that are funded by the Department of Transportation, but it was not a Department of Transportation only uh, complaint. In fact, it includes areas that you cover as well, it's employment, it's education, uh, it's health, it's everything in this state. Okay, well, um, let me, let me um, you know, when you have an allegation, uh, you have to have some uh, fact finding. So let me see if, um, uh, let me see what the status of it is and what the Department of Justice is doing particularly. I mean, we got a good uh, Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights. Uh, we shouldn't have any problem with Kristen Clark um, moving forward if um, uh, on claims like this. Let me, let me check and see what's going on. Okay. And uh, Congressman, you have a copy uh, of the complaint. Uh, I sent it to your... I think you got it uh, Saturday uh, to your uh, your private email, and I okay. also sent I also sent Austin a copy in your office as well. We want to make sure that you know it's received by your official office as well. All right, and, so, and I'll uh, be working with uh, your Washington State delegation people from Washington State uh, on this. It's a little awkward um, to have people from outside of the state working on cases in the state. Uh, Representative yeah, yeah. Paul is real active, so I know she'd be interested in this. Well, the thing about it is that Adam Smith has already written a letter. Adam Smith has already written a letter to Kristen Clark after his uh, staff examined all the documents that the Bob Armstead put forth uh, as as uh, addendums to the complaint. Okay, so, let me uh, let me let me let me see. Let me let me let me do some checking. Okay, and I sent you a copy of uh, Adam Smith, Congressman Adam Smith's letter, asking Christine Clark to look at this compelling case of racial discrimination against black folks. So okay. that's, uh, you have a copy of that on your email. So, uh, hey, I appreciate your time, sir. Is there, if Bob, anything you want to comment, Congressman uh, Scott, is there anything you'd like to state, sir? Well, we're working on a lot of stuff um, in Washington. One, oil prices. Um, um, we're trying to deal with the um, uh, price of gasoline. The oil prices in the, in the national market went way up and prices went way up. And now the price of oil in the national market, international market has gone down, but the prices haven't gone down. What's up with that? We've had a couple of hearings, and we're going to make sure the speaker and the, uh, Leader Schumer um, are going to uh, uh, suggest uh, some legislation to, pre to prevent price, price gouging. Some have suggested uh, suspending the um, gas tax. That's only a few pennies, um, and where they've tried it, the gas prices don't go down. 
I mean, you know, they're not paying the taxes; they just absorb the profit. So, yeah. um, and then when the when the when it goes when the tax goes back on, you know, the price is going to go up. So that has not been an effective um, way to reduce prices, but we're working on that. And we're also actually doing something about inflation. Um, uh, the Republicans have um, made a great deal of hay talking about how bad inflation is, but if you listen carefully, they don't have one suggestion as to what to do about it. They don't. They don't mention when they mention the median family of fifty thousand dollars and seven percent inflation paid thirty five hundred dollars more last year in inflated prices. But they don't mention the fact that a family of four got five thousand. Um, uh, $200 for $5,600 in $1,400 stimulus checks and thousands more in tax credits, earned income tax credits, SNAP benefits. We're trying to reduce drug prices. We're trying to deal with the, the uh, um, supply chain by investing in ports. We're getting more workers to work to so get more products to the market by uh, child care and job training. We're actually doing something um, but for a family of four, they've got $5,600 in, in, um, in stimulus checks and not a single Republican vote for. Uh, right. So, yeah, we're trying to do something about it, okay. put money That's in good. people's pockets and reduce costs and can't okay. get a Republican vote. But, boy, they, they are all hot to trot about complaining about how bad things are on, on an international problem. Uh, Great Britain, France, Germany have inflation too, and there's nothing anybody did in America that had anything to do with that. Uh, but like I said, we're putting money in people's pockets, we're reducing costs, we're trying to deal with supply chain issues. We're actually doing something about it. Republicans are just sitting on the sidelines um, uh, complaining and not doing anything. Okay, so, because um, it's got so, to um, we're, 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 we're working hard to... Um, I try to address problems and just dealing with a group that won't vote for anything, but they okay. will complain. Okay, uh, uh, we got the owner of Catfish Corner. You come to Seattle, I got to take you by there. Terrell Jackson's on the line with us, but we got to take a quick break and come back with him. But I wanted to make sure you knew about Catfish Corner, very successful business. Uh, his grandparents started the business and he passed it on down. That's what happened when you have family-held businesses and don't rely on affirmative action because we've been murdered on that. So thank you very much, Congressman. Hope you look at that, <laughs> Mr. Armstead's package, and we'll get back together to work our way through this. So thank you very That's much. Good. That's good. Okay. We're going to take a break and come back with Terrell Jackson, the owner of Cat Jackson's Catfish Corner on 23rd and Jackson in the Central District of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit 
lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. All right, then, that's the way to bring Terrell Jackson, owner of Jackson's Catfish Corner, on the line. Uh, I was there last week. As a matter of fact, I'm a regular, I think. I like the whole catfish, and they know what to do with it. So, uh, Terrell, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about uh, your business and about the family history, about the specials that you have. You've done a couple of things for the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. So why don't you go ahead and share that with us? Oh, you know, well, Jackson's Catfish Corner was started in 1985 by my grandfather, Woodrow Jackson, and I took the business over in 2009. We're located at um, the corner of 23rd and Jackson right now. The address is 2218 South Jackson Street. We specialize in the best catfish on this side of the Mississippi River. We got uh, collard greens, beans and rice, candy yams, hush puppies, the best cornbread, and some of the best peach company you will ever taste. And we got, on um, Sundays, we do specials, two pounds for $45. That's for, that's to feed you and your family for Sundays after church. So come on down to Jackson's Catfish Corner. We'll take care of you. Okay, Bob Armstead, you got a couple of questions for Terrell? Uh, yes, I, I'd just like to know a little bit more about the uh, the family history and the business. Um, well, like I said, um, the family started back in 1985. My, my grandfather, Woodrow, and Rosemary Jackson, they started the business in the Central District of Seattle. And... Um, they started. A, they started something. They started a fire pretty much in Seattle, and now you know it's still lit. And um, so me and my uncle, we're just here keeping it going, and um, we've been blessed to come back to the Central District, 35 years later, in a brand new million dollar location, and we're doing very great here. What What are your hours of operation? The hours is Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 9; Sunday, 12 to 6. Okay. Do you do catering? We, we, we do offer catering. Um, we, we, we cater to any size amount of people. We just get the Seahawks, the whole Seahawks um, staff, and the Seahawks players. And that was about 400 people total. And we knocked that out really easy. So we're able to cater any size party. Could you give us an example of the types of foods that you serve at your catered events? So, yeah, usually when we cater events, um, it comes by the tray, like a big foil tray of catfish, and it comes with hush puppies. And it feeds about uh, a tray of fish, a tray of fish can feed about 25 to 30 people. And it comes with cornbread and hush puppies, and it comes with our tartar sauce, our world famous, the world-famous tartar sauce that everyone talks about. 
Yes, indeed. But you know, I ate that whole catfish. I'm from Louisiana. And they didn't have no tartar sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, you come and get that whole catfish. And we also do, we serve the whole catfish, which is the uh, bone-in with the headless catfish. Um, we serve snapper. We serve prawns. And um, even though we're a catfish place, we do have the best burgers in the whole state of Washington. Our burgers are handmade burgers, just like at home. We have the Obama burger, which is served with a hot link with grilled onions, and it comes with fries. We even got catfish sandwiches. And you do catering, right? We do do catering. And who do they contact? Yeah. Who do they contact? Or give us your website address for people to follow up. We got the our, our website is jacksonscatfishcorner.com. You can do um we have online ordering there. They will do, um we have delivery services. So somebody can call and just order. So do you have DoorDash or uh, yeah. something if like you that? Go, if you go to our web, if you go to our website, the first thing it asks you the ask you is says, do you want to deliver? Are you going to pick it up in store? So it's a real easy process for uh, deliveries. Okay, okay. And uh, your hours, are you open seven days a week? Uh, what are your hours? Yep, Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 9. Uh -huh. Sunday, 12 to 6 p.m. Okay. So Mondays we are closed, so do not come on Monday. <laughs> yeah, I, I did that before. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, at least they know now. So anyway, like I was telling you earlier, uh, we'll, this program will be on, on my podcast. So people that miss hearing it uh, during this hour, I think uh, in a, about two hours or so, it'll be up on my podcast. It also program also repeats uh, on uh, Saturday morning, seven to eight, but now you can hear it 24 seven on the podcast. So uh, do you have anything special coming up? How many people do you employ? Um, I got actually, I got um, 15 full-time employees here at my restaurant okay and, oh yeah one more thing you guys i forgot to let me add every other saturday afternoon we have live band in-house from 12 to 5 every other saturday live band and these guys so are when, good they play anything you want them to play okay They're when is good. the next when's the next uh, gig going on with those guys so it won't be this upcoming saturday but the following saturday we just had them in last saturday so the following okay. not this saturday but next saturday Okay, well, Terrell Jackson, owner of Jackson's Catfish Corner, I want to thank you. I want to thank Bob Armstead for sitting in for me. Uh, so uh, everybody can hear this uh, in a couple of hours on the podcast. We'll make sure that happens. So thank both of you guys today. I've got to give a shout out to my sponsors, and then I'll check with you a little later, Bob. We need to follow up with Congressman Bobby Scott. Uh, okay, I want to let you know that I want to thank uh, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier, who's in charge down there, uh, Sound Transit's uh, Diversity uh, Office of Civil Rights, the Diversity and Inclusion Office, headed by John T. Robinson, Port of Seattle's uh, uh, Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Lawrence Coleman, and Josie Regan. And this is Eddie Ryan. We'll be talking to you again next week. <laughs>